Well, some people, some people are good at learning from other people. They're able to listen, they're able to understand, and they're satisfied to take someone else's word for it. But some people, some people, they need to find out things for themselves. I see this especially with children. You can tell some kids a thousand times that the oven is hot, but it's not till they put their hand on it that they believe you. You can tell some kids a thousand times, stay away from the swimming pool. But it's not till they've fallen in and had their face under the water for a while that they believe you. Some people, they won't take your word for it. They'll want to always add to what you say, hear what somebody else has to say, or learn it themselves by experience. Well, we've come today to the, the last in our series of studies in the book of Ecclesiastes. And as Russell just pointed out to us, what happens in this last little bit is that the author speaks. You may remember from way back in chapter 1, verse 1, that the teacher that we've been listening to is not the author. So the author introduced the book way back in chapter 1 by saying, what I'm going to give you is the words of the teacher. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then since then, that's what we've been hearing, the words of the teacher. But now, right at the end of the book, the author himself steps back in and he speaks to us. He speaks actually to his son. He's obviously put this book together for his son. And right at the end, he tells his son what to do with the teacher's wisdom. And he gives a very brief summary of the teacher's wisdom. Let's have a look. Verses 9 to 10, the author gives the teacher his own personal endorsement. He says, what the teacher has written here that I've given you, son, it is good and it is true. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 9. Have a look with me. Chapter 12 and verse 9. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. So the author says, that what the teacher has said is true. Do you get it? Do you see how it works? And then the author, he tells his son what to do with the teacher's wisdom. He says, what the teacher has said may be a little bit hard to swallow. It may be, it may be pricks a bit, like a, like a goad that you prick an animal to make it stay in line, like, like a nail. It may prick a bit, but, but what the teacher says is true. So the author says to his son, don't try to add to it. And what he's saying there is, you don't now need to go out and reinvent the wheel. What the teacher says is true, you don't need to go out and find a hundred other teachers. Or you don't need to go out and, and write your own books. You don't need to go out and learn for yourself what the teacher has taught. You don't need to learn the teacher's lessons from experience. You don't need to add to what the teacher has said. That What the teacher says may be hard, but it is true. So don't add to it. Verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. That's God. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. And then the author finishes with his own very brief summary of, of the teacher's wisdom. He says we need to fear and obey God, because very soon we'll be standing before him as our judge. Verse 13. Now, all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God 
and keep his commandments. But this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So there's the author's conclusion. That's his commentary on the teacher's wisdom. That's his recommendation of what to do with this book that he's written for us. He says, the teacher's wisdom is true. So don't try to add to it. Instead, learn from it and fear God. Well, friends, having got to the end of Ecclesiastes, how do you feel about the teacher's wisdom? I think there have been some mixed responses as, as I've talked to people in the congregation, but, but I've got to say, I agree with the author, as much as my, my weight adds anything to it, but I agree with the author. I think that what the teacher says is true. And I think we would be very wise to listen. And so what I want to try to do in the rest of this talk is to, to try to summarise the teacher's wisdom, to, to, to boil it down, to try to, try to pull it together so, so that we can think about how to apply it to our lives. It seems to me... That this book, this book of Ecclesiastes, it contains three discoveries, one belief, and two applications. Three discoveries, one belief, and two applications. Let's start with the three discoveries. It's all there on your outline. You'll see it as it comes out. Start with the three discoveries. The teacher's first discovery is this. Life is short. Life is short. Life is, to use the teacher's word, and everybody knows it by now, Hevel, Hevel. Now, the NIV translates Hevel as meaningless. I don't want to undermine your confidence in the NIV, but that is a rubbish translation. As we've been through the book, okay, we've seen it just does not get what the teacher is trying to say. It's not helpful, it's not accurate. The word means literally a breath. A breath. It's used figuratively to mean fleeting, insubstantial. Life is fleeting. Life is like a breath. It's here one second, it's gone the next. You can't hold on to it. It's not that life has no meaning. That's not the problem. It's that just not enough of it. Life is short. Okay, that's the problem. You can see the teacher's discovery way back in chapter 1 and verse 2. I put it there on your outline. You know, there are now a whole heap of verses on your outline. So, uh, so pop it out there and you can see life is short. Hevel, hevel, says the teacher. Utterly hevel. Everything is hevel. So true isn't it? It is so true. It's still true for us as Christians. This life is short. I see it even as a 40-year-old. I think I'm yold, but with the emphasis on the old part already. <laughs> it's only a second ago that I thought how old my dad was at 40. It's only a second ago that, uh, that um, my grandparents were my parents' age. Another second, my children are going to be my age. I'm going to be my parents' age. Another second after that, I'm going to be with my grandparents. I'm going to be dead for one of those graves that somebody's put up there with my little daughter in it. Oh, <laughs> um, um, as the teacher says, generations come and go so fast. I think I may have told you this before. I was lying in bed with my son the other night. He's almost eight years of age. And I thought to myself, I was married at 24. That means I have had my son, if he gets married at 24, I've had my son for a third of the time I'm going to have him at home. A third of the time. I swear he was born yesterday. Still vividly remember the moment. Life is short. That's the teacher's first discovery. Uh, the second discovery that the teacher made is this. 
There is no gain in life. There is nothing that you can get in this life that you can keep. You can get fame, you can get success, you can get money, you can get pleasure, you can get power, you can get stuff, but you cannot keep any of it. Soon your short life will be over and you won't take one scrap of it with you. It will soon be gone. Our memory will soon be gone. And you know what the net gain will be of all our worry and stress and strife and labour? You know what the net gain will be of our laying awake at night, worrying about all this stuff? You know what the net gain will be of our, our bitternesses and our resentments and our, our fights and our worries? You know what the net gain will be? A big, fat zero. Nothing. You can see it, for example, in chapter 2 and verse 11. The teacher says on your outline, When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was hevel chasing after the wind nothing was gained under the sun now as Christians we do want to qualify a little bit what the teacher has discovered here don't we now, the teacher didn't know about Jesus he lived hundreds of years before Jesus he didn't know about the resurrection of Jesus he didn't know that Jesus would, would offer forgiveness and eternal life to those who trust in him we as Christians we know that there is some stuff in this life that you can keep as the Bible says, our labour in the Lord is not in vain. We ourselves are eternal. The people around us are eternal. What we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will last. There is that gain that is possible. But, but yet, as far as the stuff of this world is concerned, what the teacher says is still exactly right. And let's face it, we do still worry about the stuff of this world, don't we? You know, we haven't got over that as Christians. The point is very simple. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. All the stuff we labour for, all the stuff we stress about, all those things we long to possess, our career, our houses, our possessions, our money, just a breath and it'll be gone to some ungrateful heir. In terms of the stuff of this world, what the teacher says is right. There is no lasting gain. So life is short. Nothing to be gained in life. The teacher's third discovery is this. You can't know and you can't control the future. You can't know or control the future. As the teacher says, there's a time for everything. Time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to mourn, a time to dance. The thing is, we don't know what that time is. And we can't control it. When the time comes to plant, you've got to plant. You can't say, I'm going to reap now. You've just got to do what the time demands. God has put this sense in us of the big picture, this sense of eternity in our hearts, and yet we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Chapter 10, verse 14 is an example in your outline there. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell him what will happen after him? Again, it's still true, isn't it? It is still true. What the teacher says is right. You can gaze into as many crystal balls as you like. You can, you can read tea leaves, you can read tarot cards, you can read telepathic messages, but you have no true way of knowing what the future holds. You can have a lovely day tomorrow, I hope you do. You could get hit by a bus tomorrow, I hope you don't. The thing is, you don't know. And there's very little you can do about it, except maybe don't go on the road or cross up the lights or something. All right? so, so those are the teacher's three big discoveries. 
Life is short, there's nothing you can gain and you can't know or control the future. They're all very true, aren't they? The thing is, the teacher also has one belief. One belief. He believes that a day is coming when God will judge people. A day is coming when God will judge people. On your outline there from chapter 3, verse 17. God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. That's what the teacher believes. That's his belief. Now, now why I say it's a belief and not a discovery is this. It's because this is not something that the teacher has any evidence for. He, he, he can't show you the evidence to back up his belief. He can show you very easily the evidence that life is short and that there's no gain and that you can't control the future or not, but he can't show you the evidence for this belief. And so in some ways, it's, well, it's not certain. If you're just going to believe what you can see, it's not certain. As the teacher says in chapter 3, verse 21 on your outline there, who knows if the spirit of man rises upward or, or, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth, essentially which you can't know. Well, similarly in chapter 8, he says, uh, the teacher says look, he says, look, I know in myself that it'll be better for the people who fear God, but I have to admit the evidence is not with me. On your outline again, from uh, chapter 8, verse 12. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. And yet, there is something else, Hevel, that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. Okay, can you see the teacher's belief? Contrary to what you may see, he believes that the day will come when people will face the judgment of God. Now, for us Christians, the, the, the teacher's belief is thoroughly vindicated, isn't it? This is not just an article of faith anymore. What, what, what the teacher believed, we can know. Now, we can know it because God has set the day, because God has proved it by raising Jesus from the dead, as the Apostle Paul said on your outline there. God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. The day will come when you and I will stand before God. The day will come when you and I will have to give account for how we live the life that God gave us. That's not an article of faith anymore. God has set the day. God has given the proof that the living Lord Jesus and all who have seen him testify that that day is ahead of us. Okay, so let's pull together what we've got so far. Three discoveries. Life is short. There's no gain in this life. We can't know or control our future in this life. One belief. We will all face the judgment of God. Now, now put all that together and the teacher has basically two applications. Two big applications. The first application is this. Enjoy real life now. Enjoy real life now. There are lots of places where the teacher says this. Let me just give you one example. I think perhaps the, the most complete one. Chapter 9, verse 7. On your outline there, go. Eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it's now that God favours what you do. Always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this heavenly life that God has given you under the sun. All your heavenly days... For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labour under the sun. 
Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you were going, my little daughter, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Enjoy real life now. For the teacher, that's got all kinds of implications and it's implications that really has, has filled up the book. Um, first, first it means you don't let life get you down. You enjoy real life now. Life is short. Life is full of injustice. People will park you in. Uh, life, life doesn't bring any lasting gain. You can't take any of it with you. Life has decisions to be made all the time. It is very easy to spend this life miserable. It's very easy to spend this life resentful over everything that everybody else is doing wrong and how you're having, to, having the worst life. of It is so easy to stress about decisions and, 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 and commiserate about life and be resentful and bitter. And The fact is, it achieves nothing. All our stress, all our resentment, all our bitterness, they do us no good whatsoever. All they do is they waste the short life that we have. Friends, real life is the way it is. There's no point arguing about it. There's no point wallowing in misery. Enjoy the real life that you have now. Second, uh, this means that you don't spend your life pursuing fantasies. You enjoy real life now. You realise that there's no gain in money. That whoever, whoever loves money never has money enough. You don't live for the fantasy that, life, that money will make your life worth living. You, you realise there's no gain in pleasure. You don't live for the fantasy that pleasure will make your life worth living. You realise there's no gain in sex. You, you don't live for the fantasy that sex will make your life worth living. You realise there's no gain in power or success or achievements or education or career or that new car or new house. Or, do you see the point? The teacher says we should enjoy our real life now, not pursue fantasies. Fantasies are fantasies. They can only disappoint us. You're better off enjoying the, the, the actual person that you have sex with, your husband or wife, not the internet pornography people, okay? Don't pursue fantasies. Enjoy the real person. You're better off enjoying your actual money, not the money that, that you wish you had. You're better off enjoying your actual job, not the job that you wish you had. You're better off enjoying your actual achievements, not the achievements that you wish you had. You're better off enjoying real life, not the fantasy life that you pretend. Enjoy real life now. All right? You don't have to get you down. Don't, don't go for fantasies. Enjoy real life now. Third, third, it means that you don't live for the future. You enjoy real life now. I'm going to shut that door because nobody's concentrated. <clears throat> you enjoy real life when? Now. Now. Okay? Far too many people think that they will listen to the sermon as soon as the door is closed. All right? Far too many people think that they will enjoy life as soon as they can get that next thing, as soon as they can just get married, as soon as they can just get divorced, as soon as they can have that house, as, as soon as the mortgage is paid off, as soon as I can have the new pair of boots, then I'll be happy, they think. All right? It's a lie. It's a lie. Whoever loves boots never has boots enough. All right? All right? Whatever that thing is, it will disappoint you. And also, the problem is, you don't know what the future holds. 
You don't know if you'll ever get it. You can strain and strive and stress and it may never be yours. You don't know the future. You can't control the future. And so says the teacher, and we've said it a few times, there's no point wrecking the present for the sake of an unknown future. Enjoy real life now. That's not to say that you can't make short-term sacrifices for long-term gain. It's not to say there's no room for discipline or perseverance. It's just to say the only possible time that you can enjoy is the present. You can't enjoy the future. It doesn't exist. So, so yes, make your sacrifices, pursue your goals, but, but do try to enjoy the process as well as the goal. Enjoy real life now. I think it's great advice. As I've said a few times, uh, uh, this has changed my life. This series on Ecclesiastes, I think it has been utterly liberating. For me, it has anyway. I'm such a stress bag. Um, this is great wisdom. Ever since I was a kid longing for my Christmas presents at Christmas that, uh, that never quite were what I wanted, I, I've always been that sort of person who, who is always never looking at what I've got but what I want. I'm always never quite satisfied with what is there but, but wanting more. I'm the sort of person who can ask Carmelina about this, lies awake at night stressing and, and worrying about stuff. This is great wisdom. Great wisdom for me. I have to say, to quote chapter 8 and verse 1, this wisdom has brightened my face. It's like it's taken a load off my shoulders. Enjoy real life now. A second application. A second application that the teacher makes uh, flows out of his belief that we'll all face God's judgment. Uh, he says we will stand before God as judge and we need to fear him. We need to let our enjoyment be within the parameters of living God's way, fearing God. I've put some examples on, on your outline of where the teacher says this, chapter 5, verse 1. And chapter 5 and chapter 11 are really the two big summary chapters. Uh, so chapter 5, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Or, or verse 7, stand in awe of God. Chapter 11, know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. Chapter 12, remember your creator in the days of your youth. That day is coming, friends. Day is coming. For us as Christians, we know all the more that that day is coming. We will stand before God and explain to Him how we lived the life that He gave us, how we spent the money that He gave us, how we related to the people that He put in our paths. We need to fear God. Because the very first thing that you will do if you fear God is you will flee to Jesus and find the pardon that only he can offer us, the pardon that God is offering us through Jesus. You fear God, you'll go straight to Jesus, accept his pardon, and then, and then live your life for him, live, live a life that honours and obeys God through Jesus. So there's the teacher's wisdom. I'll try to boil it down for you. Three discoveries, life is short, there is no gain. You can't know or control the future. One belief, we'll stand before God as judge, therefore two applications, enjoy real life now, and fear God. Friends, if I can add my very, very slight weight to what the author says in chapter 12, what the teacher says is true. And there is no point trying to add to it. There's no point finding out by experience what the teacher has already found out. One, one of my favourite poets is William Blake. William Blake wrote, The road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom. The road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom. He said, really, you've got to experience life in its fullness for yourself to really learn. 
think what the author says here is, is, is right, that the teacher's already done that. The teacher's already, already walked the road of excess and, and come to the palace of wisdom and he can take you straight there. Life is too short to have to learn everything by experience. You don't want to learn by experience what the teacher says about enjoying real life now. You can waste your life chasing fantasies. You can waste your life indulging in hedonism. You can waste your life in, in bitterness and stress. You can waste your life by living for the future. It won't do you any good. You'll only learn for yourself the wisdom that the teacher has already taught us. But meanwhile, you will have wasted this precious short life that God has given you. Don't want to, don't want to learn that for yourself. You don't want to add to the teacher's wisdom. And certainly, you don't want to find out by bitter experience that God is going to judge us. What the teacher says is right. We need to fear God, flee to Jesus. Friends, I hope you've been uh, encouraged and wisened up by this book because life is short. You can't gain anything from it. You can't control the future. We will stand before God as judge. I hope you've been encouraged to enjoy this, this short life as it is now. And I hope you will fear God and flee to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the wisdom of the teacher. We thank and praise you that he has seen and named for us what are things that, that are so obvious and yet things that we and so many people will flee from. Do please help us to confront the reality of our lives and to live them wisely. We thank you so much for the gift of life that you have given us. We thank you all the more for the gift of eternal life that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we might enjoy your good gifts with gratitude and thanks to you. And we pray that we might live in the fear of you, trusting and serving the Lord Jesus. For we pray it in his name. Amen.